Yeah. What did you say then about Josh Brolin? Josh Brolin, didn't he play Cable? Yeah, oh, yes, he did. Yeah, I see. <laughs> Although I remember when um, I always forget his name. It's not Stephen Birkhoff. It's Stephen Merchant. No, <laughs> no, not the man who played Caliban in Logan. Um, the, um, the 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 Stephen. Uh, he was amazing. He was he was in that um, film where he was uh, like a an old grizzled blind guy. Oh, Stephen Lang. Yeah, Stephen Lang. He really amazing. lobbied hard for the role of Cable. Um, he really? buffed up and he put a load of uh, pictures of himself up saying I'm the perfect cable and then I thought well obviously they're going to get Ron Pillman anyway so I wouldn't bother and then they went with Josh Brolin which is fine because I fancy all three of those men so I didn't care what happened yeah I mean it was a win 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 all right all right <laughs> yeah, it was a triple win um I was watching a show the other day um uh, and it was it was like a it was just a jokey thing on um YouTube about a woman who was like you know I'd say mid 40s who's like a lawyer talking about courtroom scenes in american films right. and she came to a sequence where she was talking about a scene that Stephen lang was in and she said oh well i'm a bit biased on this scene because that's actually my dad Stephen." and uh, and it was like emma lang or something i thought good good imagine being Stephen lang's like son it'd just be amazing mm-hmm. he's such a man he's such yeah. an underrated actor and and he's so different in everything I've seen him in. I probably haven't even seen him in that many films, but he's so different in the films I've seen him in. You think about him in Manhunter, where he plays that Weasley uh, journalist guy yeah. uh, with the awful shirts, and he's amazing in that. And then you think about him in Avatar, where he's just like a really, really commanding like war general. And then you uh, go back to something like Gettysburg, where... He was so good in that he they literally brought him back to play a different character in the sequel. <laughs> I only know him. I only know him from like a few, like you say, a few, like is it "Don't Breathe"? That film was called. It was, yeah. So, um, like I remember him from that and and a few other things, but yeah, I couldn't. He's yeah, he pops up in things, and every time I I see him, I think, oh, good, good, good. But and he's uh, terrifying yeah. in "Don't Breathe" as well. Yeah, yeah, really good. Because I, um, you genuinely believe like he's an old, tough man. Yeah, because well, he, he is. <laughs> he's an old, tough man. So <clears throat> yeah, I've um, I've had a few bit of an eclectic mix this week um, of films. So I am going to be talking about Ace Ventura: Pet, Dark Crimes, Jack Reacher, and the sequel, Motherless Brooklyn, Lawless, and Extraction. Right, and you are. I will be. I will be talking about Crank with Jason Statham, uh, The Dead Zone, uh, and Pirates of the Caribbean one, two, and three. Haven't they made more than three? They've made five. And you? I've not seen the fourth one, but I did weirdly see the fifth one. And the phrase "surplus to requirements" brings to mind. I'm assuming the fifth film. Strikes me as something you would have either seen with your burner wife or yes. one you would have watched with Sexy Dave. Oh, I, I watched it. Yeah, I watched it with my burner wife. But, um, well, her feelings about Pirates of the Caribbean, I mean, we'll obviously we'll come to talk about the, those films, but her feelings about them are that it was a perfect trilogy for her. And it's exactly how I feel about um, Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, a perfect trilogy as it was, right off into the sunset, done. Yeah. Don't need to make any more, so didn't watch the fourth one. And it for her, it's exactly the same. Like, uh, they didn't mean need to make a fourth one, didn't need to make a fifth one. Uh, yeah, so 
that was that. I mean, I think I don't think the I'm not sure the fourth and fifth ones were directed by Gore Verbinski either. So, which, as we'll find out, will make a difference. Let me just check that. Let's see. Check that. No, directed by Rob Marshall, the fourth one. And this Neil one. Marshall, oh, the fifth one was directed by Joaquin Ronning and Espen Sandberg. They did uh, a previous <laughs> film. They're then Norwegian. I think they did The Wave, is it called? Uh, I could wait. These Norwegian slash Scandinavian films bleed as one wave in my mind. No, it wasn't the wave I'm thinking of. It was uh, Contiki. There was a film called The Wave, um, which was an, an impressive, like Scandinavian film about this enormous wave swamping this town. Uh, so that was pretty good, but it was not. They didn't do that. So yeah, so that's it. <laughs> and it's a different film to The Wave, the Netflix film as well, which wasn't very good. That's not the one with um, Will Ferrell in it, is it? No, it was the one with... Here you type in on you. I know, I know. I'm just trying to think of what it was called. Uh... No, I'm thinking of The Wave with Justin Long. Sorry. <laughs> we always are. I know. Um, so how do you want <clears throat> to kick this off then? Do you want to go first or shall I go first? Probably best you go first because you have more films to discuss. That's true, actually. Yeah. Okay, then. I'll, I'll, I'll start off with Ace Ventura, <clears throat> which is a film I've seen most recently. Mm. And it was a weird one because Faye has never seen it. And um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, I said, Oh, you haven't seen it? Oh, you haven't lived? Oh, I can't believe it. No, what I said was, Oh, it's. it's I assume it's still funny. We should give it a crack. And she said, oh, I'm actually in the mood. It's very rare that Faye and I watch comedies. Um, yeah. So I, I said, oh, yeah, we'll we'll chuck it on. And I uh, got it on Amazon Prime. And it is still funny. Jim Carrey is just a ball of kinetic energy in it. And it's just shocking. It's very watchable. Yes. Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber, all 1994. That's a good year. Yeah. So um, I am going to watch The Mask as well because I remember liking that. Uh, so I'm going to – again, these are films I haven't seen in 20-plus years. So when um, sorry, I'm going to clear my throat. I don't know why. Every time we start these, I just start uh, getting uh, a chesty cough for some reason. I'm chain smoking cigars as we do it. Um, yeah. So yeah, well, Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. Put it on, and obviously I fancy Courtney Cox, and I was pleased to see that she uh, she was in it. And I thought, oh my god, this is before you had a load of. This is before people melted down a load of Lego and shoved them into your face, so you actually right. look like a person. Which is always a bonus. Uh, so yeah, and there was um, <laughs> obviously, obviously um, oh my god, what's his name? Oh, like Rent a Vampire, Udo Kier. Uh, Udo, Udo, Udo Kier rocks up in it. Brilliant, absolutely fine. Um, yeah. Sean Young, not a very good actress. Not. Is uh, Udo Kier is no? Who plays his uh, landlord? Because I remember finding that scene really funny. Oh, yeah, it's someone you again. It's someone I recognise, but I could never name. It's like a he was. He's like an old uh, kind of European type guy. I think he was. Yeah, what was his name? Anyway, he's, he's, like, he's really... like a he's got like a like a real brusque New York accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and <laughs> I remember the scene where he's like he's confronts him on the doorstep and he coughs all over him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jim Carrey's face when he does that is just so funny. It's just those little moments. It's not the big 
one-liners and stuff. It's just the little like uh, looks on Jim Carrey's face. It's brilliant. It's the constant jibbing. Yeah. The whole the whole sequence that got me is where he's. Um, you, you realize just how kind of clever he is because I think with with like sort of zany screwball films, it's very easy for just like the random factor of it to to be what draws the laughs. And if you don't find that funny, which I don't, and and the kind of improvisation and stuff you this it just it just looks like they're having more fun than i am as i watch it and with with like jim carrey you can tell that they obviously like did a take and then said okay just do what you want now and there are so many sequences where he's just like in the background and it's kind of like it reminds me of inglorious bastards where the scenes where they're supposed to be dressed like disguised as italians and Brad Pitt's just like jutting his chin out constantly like turkey <laughs> turkey necking and a slight blue in the background and that's in, like funnier than any actual comedy, and yeah, with this, it's like with um, with Jim Carrey in this one. He's I don't know if he tries to go to Ray Finkel's, uh, like the asylum he was sort of committed to, and Courtney Cox yeah. is is just talking to the you know the director that's saying, oh yeah, my brother needs to come here, and there, and he's just wearing a tutu in the background and just just shouting stuff, just <laughs> shouting and running back and forth, just in the background, and it's that's absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> So the film is funny, and it, and and I did get a couple of really good belly laughs. But there there was a problem um, towards the end of the film when oh it's over twenty years. So oh, no 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 it's not is it ninety four uh, yeah it is no, well, over, well, well over yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. yeah. are you going to talk, start talking about homophobia now yeah um, <laughs> so yeah towards and I because of course I hadn't seen the film in so long I remember yeah. that like yeah Sean Young is actually Ray Finkel spoiler alert um, and and I. I kind of forgot how it was dealt with because at the time I probably would have not paid much attention to it because I would have been like 14 or whatever. Um, but yeah, when it, it's really jarring. <laughs> it is. Um, it is. I, I, like, I know I get that it's meant to be a crying game uh, reference with the music and that, but it is It is basically like the, the comedy is basically coming from how disgusting it would be to kiss a man. Yeah, and that's really? it, to, to kiss a yeah. man, nothing more. And and he's like washing himself and weeping like he, he's a victim of rape. And yeah. it's it's like none of the, the film, none of the film is gross out comedy. And there are like one or two bits that haven't aged too well in terms of just things that happen. But that was, it was like, oh, okay. And it goes on. And then, and then as a topper to that, at the end of it, when he like, reveals her to be a man where he turns around and you can just see her genitalia like tucked tuck down sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. And ev- everyone just starts vomiting um, yeah. and gagging and that's you think, mm. and that's like the big reveal, the big laugh. And it's like, meh, it doesn't really yeah, that, work now. That, that is dated. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. That wasn't the best. That wasn't the best moment. She cannot uh, act. She cannot act, Sean Young. She's really bad in it. Like she can't even sort of when she's if you look at her when she's not talking directly to someone she yeah. she just kind of looks really uncomfortable like she doesn't know what to do. Yeah, I've heard that she's an extremely awkward actor to work with as well. So I, yeah, and the fact that she's not that talented doesn't really help because uh, you know sometimes you can get awkward actors who are just so talented and have got such star power that you're going to have them in the film anyway. Sort of thing, but it reminds me of Linda Fiorentino uh, with when right. she worked on Dogma, which is a film I, again I haven't seen for like about twenty years, but I did like it at the time. So I was a teenager, so I liked Kevin Smith, um, and I remember Linda Fiorentino. Who I, yes, yes, I fancied yes, and and apparently she's just really, really awkward, and you think it's really weird for her to be because she was just 
I don't know. She just—it's like if Rebecca Gayhart was like that. It's just—it's just an actor, if you know what I mean. Yeah. From yeah. the '90s, so. So I'm gonna say that's right. a cigar. Yeah, I'm, I'm on it. Um, yeah, you were gonna—you were gonna say something about uh, difficult actors. Sorry, before. I uh, yeah, I just think. Uh, I mean, I've heard, I hear stories from from our friend Dave, who's a producer. So, um, sexy Dave. Like, yeah, sexy Dave, and and he will, uh, and he he'll kind of hear through the grapevine, if you like, um, like he'll meet people who've met certain actors and stuff, and will describe their behaviour on set and stuff, and it is quite amazing because you you know you get absolutely amazing actors who are so like uh, giving with their time and so sociable and stuff with the the crew and the extras and stuff. I remember. Uh, specifically in mentioning like Hugh Jackman apparently is just amazing and it's like really really welcoming to people and down to earth and stuff but there are others whose names I won't mention uh, in public but like who are just real prima donnas and but they are such big stars I guess you can't really afford not to have I mean if you can get them in the film you're going to put up with a bit of that sort of stuff I mean it's kind of Marilyn Monroe effect isn't it really because she was a a nightmare on set apparently and take take after take to get something right or just not turn up or whatever but she was such a big star that you know billy wilder would put her in a film and it revolved around her i remember um when i was doing i haven't written for nerdly for a while now but when i did a few things i remember um Phil Wheat, who runs Nerdly, said he'd into he'd gone. To, I don't know if you know Rupert, but he goes to. He really likes horror films. He really likes going to horror conventions, Rupert. <laughs> and he said, "I've got a load of interviews that need to be transcribed." And um, I've transcribed a few interviews I've done with people, usually with like video game stuff, um, like George. What was his name? George Sanger and um, Aaron Connors, who wrote the Tex Murphy games. And I actually quite like transcribing stuff. I find it really therapeutic for some reason. <clears throat> And I said, oh, yeah, just send me like, just send me the audio and, and I'll, I'll happily do it. That's not a problem. And it was a low budget horror film uh, with a guy in it who the director must cast him in it. And he's in all of the director's films as different parts. And right. it was so painful to listen to his his he's his accent was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, when I was in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was a great time. And I, it was I thought yeah. that can't be how you speak. Um, the I'm kind of person my... who name drops famous actors, but only by their first name. Yes. Well, like, so, he does that. Yeah. He does that. Yeah. Uh, when I was when I was with a uh, Tom uh, Cruise. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. Tom he... Cruise, in case you hadn't realised who I'm talking about. Uh, and then, <laughs> and there's some points in the interview which are like quite pathetic to listen to, where someone's obviously like he's been asked a question and he'll talk over the person asking the question to try and get someone's attention in the background. Um, they obviously are ignoring him, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, I'll catch you later," and and, and then go back to wow. the. And it's like you get the impression that he was sitting in front of like the person interviewing him, and desperately looking around to kind of try and, um, qu- like sort of qual- qualify his own success and worth to himself all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, there's, was... there's, a, there's definitely a difference between like youthful confidence and just uh, massive over ambition, and I. I wonder if you know it's too it's too early almost to have an ego like that. I don't think you're going to get very far with an ego like that because there's one thing I've learned 
from the few film sets I've been on, it's it's such a collaborative medium. Like it's not, you know, it's not something. It doesn't. There isn't really that much room for ego, especially at the indie level. You know, because yeah, everyone's having to make sacrifices essentially, and so you don't really have room for that unless you've got some megastar there who is going to sell the film. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a non-starter, really. It's a shame because it put me off it. I thought I found it so cringeworthy to sit through that I just yeah. couldn't bring myself to do any more. And well, I've never really been on a film set, but I've heard your experiences from it, and like you say, just from other people. And it it really doesn't seem um, a good idea to to have that approach and that uh, that obviously no. kind of amplified forced personality to try and make some sort of mark when, like you say, really you just want to be doing your job very well. Um, with yes. like minimum fuss, so people think, because it's so easy to dismiss people in in a, in an industry of that scale. Yeah, and there's because so, there's so many people clamoring to get into it, especially on the acting side, and that that you know you, yeah, it's so easy just to uh, get rid of someone on a film of that scale. But also then, you know, like the word of mouth will be so poor because so much of it um, in independent film is about kind of who you know and what names you know and who's and word of mouth all it takes is for someone to say right okay you know who who should we try and approach for this film and they'll throw a few few names around uh because someone they know knows that person or whatever and it's like all it takes is for one producer to say well that guy was a bit of a nightmare to be honest he just he was full of himself uh and he was difficult on set and that's it. They go with someone else who's just as okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. and just as cheap. So, <laughs> so it it is a weird. Um, how do we get on this topic? Actually, just we talk about Sean Young being difficult. I think. Oh, that was it. Yeah, but, yeah. And and the point is that she doesn't really have that star power and talent to to survive to back it up, if you like. I mean, the only other things I've really seen her in are Blade Runner and what's that? Kevin Costa film No Way Out. She was in that. She was all right in that. Yes, yes, that was eighty-five. That was he's. Yeah. He made me buy a bottle of Stolichnaya vodka and that. He's constantly just walking around saying, "Oh, Stolly," and it's like, "Oh, I want one now. I want one, Kev." I'm such a yeah. good. When it comes to that, I'm so easily led when people like eat or drink in films. It's I want that now. I know. I know. I and watch. I remember watching like uh, westerns when I was a kid, and I, I loved it when they went into a bar and just ordered whiskey and just necked it. It looks well, so nice, and it was so and it was so cloudy, and you know it'd be room temperature <laughs> for back, and then a bit of a bit of a wince because it's been made in someone's toilet, and and, and you think oh, I want that now, and I'm twelve, <laughs> I want a drink yeah. problem. <laughs> um, for Christmas, can I have a raging drink problem, please? <laughs> so, um, Ace Ventura, then. Uh, so, so it's, it's still quite funny. I mean, it's probably the weakest out of those three, really, isn't it? Uh, the mask. Oh, I mean, Dumb and Dumb is just still amazing, uh, and only one vaguely homophobic scene in that. So, <laughs> uh, and what's that? Oh, no, I said winner. Yeah, the, the less yeah. homophobia, the better. And Jim Carrey's canon. You <laughs> <laughs> hope so, but yeah. And then the, the mask, of course, which has that same slightly scary cartoon quality as Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I always think. Yeah, that. and Cameron Diaz is in it, and let's not mince words, but she's pretty. Yes, I remember. I think that was her first film. It's certainly the first film I saw uh, in, and she makes such a ridiculous entrance that, yeah, she never quite topped that. 
Yeah, you could tell that she wasn't afraid to sort of poke fun at herself. I mean, I haven't seen many Cameron yeah. Diaz films since. Pete, not forgetting Peter Green, not the original guitarist from Fleetwood Mac, but Peter Green, who looks a bit like Peter Weller, um, who I used to mix up with Tony Golden as well, believe it or not, was was in... There's um, lots of people that mix up with Tony Golden, to be fair. <laughs> and he is... I used to find him really scary, much like Christopher Lloyd um, yeah. in Roger Rabbit. I did find Peter Green really weirdly threatening as a child, because I would have been... yeah, like He is menacing in that film, though, because yeah. he plays it like... It's like he's playing it as if he's an actual gangster in a gangster movie sort of thing. Mm. And that's quite terrifying. Because so obviously you've got like Jim Carrey mugging and then he is just really, really menacing and serious. Saying like really deeply dark things. Yeah. So, so Ace Ventura, yeah, would I watch it again? I'd probably watch it in if, with, if I had like a young child and I would... Uh, I would put on because it, it's kind of cartoony and slapstick and it's a film I could sit through. Um, yes, yeah. So, I, I, and a child would need an education in Jim Carrey. Yes. Amazing. What as I would. A, as a as a comic actor, he's amazing. And I like I watched The Grinch for the first time over Christmas, and and it's so good because of him. Like it, it the detail in his performance is just amazing. It's incredible. Like the kind of stuff he does. It is a kind of it's one of those movies where it's like point the camera at Jim type thing but that's okay because yeah that's absolutely fine because was, the that, was, that, was that make i was gonna say was it makeable cg uh, makeup yeah because this was 2000 ish i think they've done a cg version of it with benedict Cumberbatch, but i don't know i i think i do think the grinch is a really good film it's like got i think it's directed by ron howard but if you didn't know that you'd be convinced it was tim burton because it's got that really larger than life dark uh kind of nightmarish quality to it and it's not just sweeping sentimentality. No, but I mean, there is sentimentality in it because it's a Christmas story, but it comes very late and it's actually genuinely quite sweet when it, when it kind of happens. So yeah, recommended. So, we'll do a Christmas show at the end of the year. I'm, I'm very much up for that. That's absolutely fine. I do like discovering new Christmas films because they're such a, this is so thin on the ground. Um, so moving on, I'll do another one because it kind of pairs with this. In fact, I've got two two films that pair with each other on this. So Dark Crimes, because I finished watching uh, 1994's Ace Ventura Pet Detective, and I thought, well, I still I still need some gym, but it was late. It was like half eleven, and I thought, well, obviously I'm gonna have to watch something really miserable. And then I saw that he was in a film last year called Dark Crimes, and I popped it on, and it's him, obviously in his fifties with a big graying beard and a shaved head putting on um i don't even know what kind of accent it is i can't remember where it was supposed to be set some eastern or poland so he's putting on a polish accent which right. <laughs> doesn't it doesn't entirely go swimmingly um i always imagine when people when actors that they say you know oh you're playing poland and they sort of think nah russian same thing uh so <laughs> they, they he's doing this act which isn't a problem because he's not it's not a particularly verbose performance and the problem with the film is that jim carrey is good in it but mm. the film around it isn't isn't good it's not interesting at all it just right. seems to like hit every beat that you would assume it would it's a, like a miserable uh you know something set in the eastern block and it's a kind of a murder mystery but it's it's a, a scandy noir type thing yeah it felt more like a tv series that I, when i was watching it than a film um, right. And it, and you've got um, Charlotte Gainsbourg in it, and there is some really good like performances in it. But it just feels like, do you know, when you when a film finishes, and and I remember you saying to me that when you, 
when you make a film, you should take the most interesting part of this characters or this this event. It feels that they kind of could have just cut a lot out yeah. because it's it's a lot of it, it was a lot of sort of moroseness and staring and awkward silences. But I was just thinking, should, should this scene have ended? Should you left the camera on for a sec? So there was no, there was it didn't add any tension. It just seemed to jump from place to place, from like awful rusty car to awful rusty car and people smoking in like beer kitchens. And it's like mm, I wouldn't sounds, mind something happening. Sounds like- it sounds like your kind of movie, to be honest. Well, this is the thing, but I think it, it almost felt like Jim Carrey was wasted because he's such a he is he can be really intense and he can be really full on, but he was just it was like they said we want you to just be really, really, really restrained, and I can imagine he did it for that purpose. And if the writing and the film right. around it was better, it would have sucked me in. But it it just kind of yeah, it would just felt really, really generic. Like if Jim Carrey wasn't in it, it would have just been a really absolutely forgettable just eastern thriller yeah uh, because we were talking last time about 70s movies where uh people are just smoking on their own in rooms but you know like because your example was warren Beatty, i think smoking on his bed like just yeah. completely unsure about what to do yeah uh and and but of course the reason that that works the reason you can have that shot of him smoking and uh doing nothing apparently doing nothing is because you know that there's a context to it so it's a dramatic scene because uh him having no idea what to do is dramatic in itself because it, there's tension there but there's got to be like the uh there's got to be the the content there's got to be the narrative content to uh to do that and uh, too many like pseudo art house thrillers do this thing of just having really really long languid scenes uh and then holding the camera for a while and it's like well just because it's slow doesn't mean it's meaningful you know yeah and that and that's always a sign of a bad film and and like it's it's like it it's no better than you know you could complain about films being too fast these days too too many cuts etc but you can go the other way as well which is not enough cuts, not not enough content, you know. Oh yeah, I, I think it, this ties in with um, uh, Motherless Brooklyn a little bit later on because um, th- what I what I find is with these th- with these sort of thrillers and they, and, and although the sort of seventies thrillers like um, Three Days of the Condor and uh, the Parallaxy and stuff like that is obviously different to this to this film. This is just like a nine. It's not it's not so much a like an espionage. It, what what I like to, what my point I'm getting at is. What I liked about those films, like I said, when he's smoking on the bed, you get and you get the sense that this he has embroiled himself in something that is so much bigger than him that there's no. It's like I have no idea. I know I should do something, but I have no idea where to turn. Whereas in this, it was more was more Jim Carrey like pursing his lips in this kind of silent rage, and and it, but then you think. I don't know. You everything. Everyone in this film seems to be going about their business in the worst possible way. So. It's it's almost like this 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 is forced drama. It because he, he's made out to be this sort of like this slightly failed cop who was a bit of a maverick and and that's gone. But then you think, well, I'm not seeing any of that. I'm just seeing him just doing things badly. <laughs> so if someone else was on this case, it, it would just be solved much more quickly. So I didn't. I really didn't. Uh, I watched it at the end and I was like. 
I'm, I know, yeah. and it's such a generic title as well, Dark Crimes. I know I will never watch it again, and I will never probably think about it again. And if we did this in a month and you asked me to remember it, I'd be like, oh, what was that film? So, yeah. Nice yeah. nice to see a change of pace. Jim Carrey. Yeah, we're, yeah. In beard, we're at a beard and looked at Charlotte Gainsbourg's bum. Oh, I know the one. Um, so I, I do think there is there's definitely room for a Jim Carrey resurgence, a, a dramatic resurgence, I doubt. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's going to do the same kind of comedy again. But, you know, because we've seen he can do dramatic roles. So I, I hope he does have a resurgence in popularity. That would be cool. Yeah. It would because yeah. um, because he is he's an interesting screen presence and and all of his dramatic films like Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind, I've never actually seen. Oh, a Truman Show I did watch, but um, they're, they're very long ago. So yeah, so, Truman anyway. Show is amazing. You should watch that again. No, I'm too busy watching Ed TV. I'm afraid. Ed <laughs> TV, remember that? Oh my god. Um, so that's my Jim Carrey uh, double starter. So what have uh, you got in the bag? Uh, I've got. Uh, I watch Crank. Because we found. Sorry, that it, it fizzled out. Then the connection. You had a. <laughs> <laughs> I had a portion of chips and curry sauce and watched Crank. Um, yeah, so Crank is uh, a film with Jason Statham, as we know. Uh, what year was it? It must have been about two thousand and five, two thousand and six. Yeah. It, it, this film came at. This came, it came just after the Bourne uh, films, kind of like uh, reinvigorated action cinema. Um, but but they also what they also did, which was very bad, was they changed action cinema so that action scenes were basically created through editing rather than choreography. And this was a trend which continued for some time, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. So and, and Crank is filmed with these tiny handheld digital cameras i'm assuming they're digital cameras although apparently in the second one i don't know whether it's the same in the first one in the second one they they use camcorders like um like expensive camcorders in order to film because they didn't have these tiny digital cameras at the time so they used right. so in order to get the kind of shots that they wanted uh then they use these tiny camcorders anyway it makes it pretty incomprehensible and the whole film is very very ugly looking uh in terms of just the just the image quality, but also the fact that it's really, really shaky cam, the fact that it's so much of it is shot in close up, the fact that the editing is awful and it's and the action scenes are inexplicable. Um, so but it is it is broadly a comedy and and although the actual script isn't funny in itself. It's state, Jason Statham is funny in it, and you realise now that, uh, you know, like this is one of his sort of uh, first really, really big films, along with the Transporter films, to make him like a big action star. Yeah. And and obviously now, you know, you've seen him in stuff like um, what's it called, Spy, where he's oh. hilariously funny in that. Yeah. But he's really funny in this as well, and it's mostly to do with his kind of attitude. He just. The fact that his character is just barreling around the place, just <laughs> knocking bystanders over and stuff. It's just hilarious because you just see him walking around. There'll be some old woman who just knock past her and she'll go flying. And all that, that's, that's kind of funny. Um, 
And of course, there's a, there's a brilliant scene where for no reason he gets into like he strips off completely naked and um, gets into like a hospital gown to escape hospital. <laughs> but there's all these shots of him like uh, running around and like leaping over stuff. And it, it would just you'll just see a glimpse of his bum like, <laughs> like peeking out through, <laughs> through the gown. It's just so funny. Never gets old. Um, <laughs> however, there are some slightly troubling moments in this film. and. Uh, there's a kind of infamous scene where he has sex with Amy Smart in the middle of a Chinatown market, which yeah. is not, I mean, it's quite a funny idea on paper because it's like he needs to, obviously, the whole, the whole concept is that he needs to keep his heart rate up uh, in order to stay alive to stop the poison. I don't see why it would prevent the poison from spreading through his body you'd think it would actually accelerate it but anyway so so anyway yeah so there's this so there's a scene where they have like sex in public in chinatown and that's amusing in itself but the way it's actually done like i don't remember it being this rapey when i originally saw it but it's really like it's really creepily like because he's he's like clawing at her like and pinning her down and stuff and tearing at her clothes and it's like okay like this needs to turn around quicker sort of thing because it just takes too long for her to like get into it, if you see what I mean. And in the yeah. end, he's basically penetrated her before she's even said, yeah, you know, I'm up for this. And it's really, I, it's really, really awkward, actually, and not funny at all. So, uh, yeah. When so you I, have moments like that in a film as well, yeah. and that's that's relatively recent, that's you know, mid two thousands. It's it, it it kind of puts a bit of a bad taste in your mouth for the for the the, the what comes afterwards. You sort of think, mm. yeah, everything's a bit tainted by that. Yeah, yeah. I, I seem to remember enjoying the sequel more uh, because it was so absurd. It was it really. Yeah, I, I remember they really cranked it up for the sequel they did and they they camped it up as well because it was just really ultra camp and uh ridiculous was it the same that. director as well or i think so yeah so yeah it's it's weird that they can be so juvenile but at the same time i don't know so kind of inclusive in a way <laughs> but i mean they these guys went on to do gamer with um oh god Butler. yeah yeah, yeah. Which no one saw, so uh, I see. Yeah, but I, Michael C. Hall was in it as well. Come on, sorry, Michael C. Hall was in it. Of course, he was. Um, I think, yeah, the humor is very juvenile. I think I would have loved it if I saw it as like a 14 year old. Yeah, I did see it as a 14 year old. I think I saw it as a 20 something year old, and I remember thinking it was okay. Uh, so and now I think it's less than okay, really. <laughs> So next time, in 10 years' time, we'll come back and we'll just decide it's bloody awful. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't really imagine. The one thing you can say about it is that you can't really see any other action star doing what Jason Statham does in this film. And I think it's because he kind of almost filled a gap. Um, you know, like kind of the 80s action stars, um, yeah. you know, Sly and Arnie and all that. Kind of, it, they were kind of a bit past it by then. And there wasn't really anyone else around to really take on that mantle and the, the rock but it, yeah but he's always going to be a little bit squeaky clean there is no way the rock would do a an action film in which he sniffs like an 
cocaine off a toilet floor and then runs around with an erection. There's just no way he'd do it. And Jason Statham does both these things. So. Yeah, he doesn't care. And he's got a nice bum yeah. as well, so that's fine. Yes. Uh, yeah, so that's Crank. Are you I going think... to watch the sequel? I don't think I'll bother checking it out, to be honest. I think... Um, I mean, uh, my wife loves Jason Statham. Um, and... But I think we're probably more likely to go for something like Transporter or something like that, you know? Yeah. Something a bit more uh, grounded, should we say. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it was just it's just such a such an incomprehensible film, the way it was shot, the way it was edited. Just looked that, awful. That was a real problem after the Bourne films, because yeah, really even, even now you see the sort of tail end, the echoes of it, and a fight scene will happen, and you'll think, I, I don't know what's happening. It's not impressive. And it, yeah, it, I'd say, I suppose the last really high-profile film, which, well, I remember it happening, was... Oh no, no, that would have been later than that because, but I was going to say Batman Begins, but that was two thousand five, I think. Anyway, so yeah, so that was actually before Crank, and that had awful action scenes in it as well, with like really quick cutting. And then you jump forward to the Dark Knight, and for all my issues with the Dark Knight, the one thing it did do really well was good action scenes, which were very, very clear what was happening to whom. It was like it was such a difference between those two movies, and I think maybe it said something about the way that action scenes were progressing generally speaking because that was what 2008 so it's only a few years after as well yeah 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 it's definitely noticeable so yeah that's crank um well i'll do my next two and one it's because it's just jack reacher and jack reacher never go back and uh, because after you spoke about jack reacher you reminded me all the all the problems i had with it and how much i didn't enjoy it and the the only course of action was for that evening for me to pay to watch the the sequel at midnight. And I put it on, and I, I, within minutes I just thought, oh god, because it's seen it before. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go I, again because we've got a rule, haven't we? That Tom Cruise is never in a bad film. We did that rule used to hold yes. hold tight. It, it, it held it held until the mummy came out. Yeah, <laughs> um, but then with um, yeah, at the start of this, it's just instantly irritating so it starts off and it's um it's him and there's a the camera pans up in a in like a outside a like a diner and he's sitting having a coffee and there's about eight blokes being beaten up in a car park like groaning covered in blood and then someone says the sheriff was like oh who did this um you know was it was a gang and they're like no one guy he's still in there so instantly my <laughs> awareness is up for like all oh, right okay so i have to think he's cool okay and then they, they go in there and he says and they arrest him and then he, he does his little thing of oh yeah what's going to happen is in, in the next 90 seconds that phone's going to ring you're going to be wearing these handcuffs and you're going to have a broken nose and I'm going to have a hat on and my passport photo is going to look like Susan Sarandon and <laughs> my watch is going to be on the other arm and my shoelaces are going to be tied together <laughs> but I'm going to be on, ha- on my hands behind my back and you're like right okay get it over with I'm like I'm bored before he starts doing these little monologues and then um, and then, yeah, all those things happen. And he walks off with a little smirk in his face. So all it does is basically retread the first film. Like, you know, everyone's like falling over themselves to help him. But this one is based in the in the in in a military kind of, uh, mostly in like a military complex and dealing with military, uh, what's the word, sort of practices. So what you get... he's military police, isn't he? That's his yeah. background. So what you get is like people just treating with this like, 
wide-eyed or when they see him and him just walking around getting stuff done. And mm. Kobe Smulders is in it, uh, who I actually mm. thought for a second was Terry Farrell. Um, I thought, is that Terry Farrell's sister or something? But no, they're both just complete screamers. And what you get is the first, the, everything that's irritating about the, the first film with a slightly weaker plot, an overplotted plot, but a more tedious plot. Uh, and combined with the fact that he's now got to basically like ferry around a girl who may or may not be his daughter, who's like a typical snarky teenager. Mm. So it, it, these are not ingredients for an interesting action film. And there, well, well, there's some nice sequences in it. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't just devolve into like a, you know, like a, an awkward sort of love scene, which I thought at one moment was going to happen. I thought, don't do that. Don't just have it. So she's, She's just going to fall in love with him for no reason. Um, but it's just irritating. Really, really irritating. And there's some sequences where like, this girl who's his daughter is doing these things, going off and doing these extremely dangerous things, just disappearing, and then coming back with like a bit of information she's got by doing something really... And he's kind of impressed with it, and you think... Eh. Mm. <sighs> so, yeah, I would, it, it was just... I was, I was very much ready for the credits to roll when they did, and I will never watch that film again. Like, I would at a push watch the first one again if it came on for whatever reason in a house party or something. But the sequel, I'd be yeah. thinking, this, is, this isn't good, guys. This is not good. Because you, you haven't got Jay Courtney in it. You haven't got Werner Herzog. And, and, it, and it just, t- like, family drama like, as a, plot, yeah. a major plot point. It's, what? Um, so, yeah, it was, it was not good. And it was a far worse film than the original, which wasn't particularly good for me anyway. So, okay. yeah, it, not, not, nothing I would ever watch again. Oh, that's disappointing. Oh, yeah. I'd say disappointing, but then I was never going to watch it anyway. So, <laughs> it's yeah. just not dis- <laughs> no, it's exactly what I imagined it to be, and what all the reviews said. In fact, <laughs> oh right, okay, not as good as the first one. Um, yeah, I. It's. I guess the problem is, is that we fundamentally dislike his character, and that's a real problem because, as you like, as you describe that first scene. Clearly, the intention of that is to make you is to seduce you as a viewer to think into thinking, yeah, I want to be like this person, or I want to be this person, uh, or I want to have sex with this person, and I don't want to do any of those things with mm-hmm. Jack Reacher. So, because he's so fundamentally unlikable. It's interesting what you say about that because I, I had a ch- chat with my brother yesterday, but I mentioned that I watched the film and he said he's never seen them. But apparently, my mother has read the books, right? And she said, "Oh, she, my mother is like an action nut. She will watch action films and just say, yeah, brilliant, Tango and Cash, brilliant, uh, American Ninja Four, brilliant.' And yeah, so when, she's when, correct. Then, yeah. So she, she is accurate in everything she says. Um, apart from like American Ninja Three, where they get rid of Michael Dudikoff and replace him with, I think it was like Andrew Bradley or something. Um, but don't worry, they team up for the fourth one. Um, so, Thank God. <laughs> finally, um, <laughs> and Michael Dudikoff and Andrew Bradley, um, <laughs> my solicitors. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, he said, "Oh yeah, Mum said that the, the the first film, like the character, like." As is not the same as how he's described in the book, you know, because in the book he's kind of hard. And I was like, hard and tall and granite featured. And I said, yeah, there's no physical yes. resemblance at all. But then the second film is based on the book called Never Go Back, but they changed the plot of the book. So right. what you've got is a character who doesn't, based on a character that where there's no real similarities, phys- like physically at all, effectively. Yeah. And then you've got a sequel 
um, where it's the same thing, but based on a book where it has no that it has no kind of real relation to as well, but with the same title. So wow, it, wow. It's, it's like what? Why not just do something else? Why not? So you really you're just pleasing nobody with that. Yeah, like, but I've got I've got no problem at all with like books. You know, like um, as things transfer between mediums, ha- having different approaches and stuff because they're different mediums. But you're fundamentally changing things. It's like, why isn't this just, why isn't this just a Tom Cruise film? Like, if it's not, you're not making it for the fans of the book. Wh- who, mm. Why not just call it something else? So. Yeah, it is. It, it is a problem in casting, really, because it it's not even just the physical presence of Tom Cruise because he's. I, notably short uh it's not even that it's it's the fact that he carries so much like baggage with him he's he has an inherent niceness um and positivity which really really doesn't go well with um those sorts of roles dark roles i mean okay it kind of worked i i don't know why it is but it worked with collateral and of course in that he's essentially a kind of jack reach type character really really super confident uh but the the difference there i suppose is the fact that he's a bad guy the fact that you're meant to have mixed feelings about him because on one hand he is seductive in his confidence but then you know he's going to be taken down in the end and that's the difference between them and in the end you're meant to dislike him actively dislike him and whereas in jack reacher you're meant to come away thinking, "Wow, we should have been like that guy." But you came, you come away from Collateral, where he basically plays a very similar role, thinking, uh, "Yeah, I'm with Jamie Foxx on this one." I mean, I, I liked him. I didn't like the overconfident, greaseball killer. Yeah. So, not films yeah. that either of us will ever feel the need to revisit. <laughs> I don't think so. So I, I if, think, to be honest, the franchise is done, really, isn't it? I don't, I don't think it did very well. No, no, not at all, not at all. Um, I've got three films left, so I, I, I have two or four, depending on how you how you look at it. Um, so I'll talk about the Dead Zone. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm intrigued by this because I've never actually seen it, and it's right. um, yeah, it's one I've been meaning to watch for a while, and <laughs> then when I watched it, I realised I have actually seen it. It's one of David Cronenberg's. Um, horror efforts from the from the 80s uh and it's 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 strange actually because it kind of it straddles two kind of phases of david cronenberg's filmography uh because you've got the early kind of almost trash horror exploitation stuff uh, and then you've got the later much more cerebral character focused work and it's almost a bit of both um it's like I'm pretty sure that every Stephen King story has been adapted for film or TV. I think that's a genuine thing. Uh, uh, And there have been bad adaptations and there have been really, really good ones. But let's face it, most of them are pretty average. And this one falls into the upper average category, I'd say. Okay. Um, Saying that, like, I think we mentioned last time we talk about how, uh, like, a, a a star can elevate like uh, tawdry or hackney material. Um, and, and that is the case with The Dead Zone because Christopher Walken is perfectly cast 
uh, in the central role. He plays uh, a guy who is uh, a star in a Fatboy Slim music video. Uh, not a, yeah, no, it wasn't quite that. No, it's a slightly different role for him. Um, he's a man who he's I think he's a teacher, and he um, he's in a car crash and in a coma for years. And then when he wakes up, he's got psychic powers. Basically, he when he touches someone, he can he sees the future, I yeah. think, or he sees something that's going to happen to them or one of their loved ones, basically. And it's sort of this curse, really, that he's got, and it's um, and and yeah, it but and it really torments him. And it, I don't know, it really works well with Walken. He's got quite like a kind of ghostly pallor anyway, and he's got this wide-eyed anxiety thing which really works well and it's just a really really nice detailed nuanced performance um better than the material if you like um of course tom skerritt plays a sheriff nothing wrong with that Good. tom skerritt who I, he might yeah. as well be chris christopherson as far as i'm concerned yeah. <laughs> or ted um, levine or... <laughs> <laughs> so you can hear what he's saying um so yeah cronenberg he's um he's He's an interesting filmmaker because he's very, um, he's very uh, like classical in the way that he shoots his films. It's like very formal. It's quite handsome, well lit, very formal. It's almost like anti-style. Uh, you see the same thing in um, uh, what's it called, History of Violence as well, something like that, where it's like you don't notice any stylistic touches really. It's just very. He's just very good with actors, and he just shoots very handsomely. Like there's no fuss in the way that he shoots his movies, which is quite nice, really. Um, and, and yeah, the film overall is basically, so he's got this gift or curse, depending on which way you look at it. And really, it all it's really about, it's an interrogation of the question, um, if you could go back and kill Hitler before he rose to power, would you do it, sort of thing? Mm-hmm. And if you knew like what he was gonna do, and and it's and which is obviously quite an interesting question. And it's I just like the fact that Cronenberg spends it. It's a very clear uh, kind of theme with the film, you know. And I I thought to myself when I was watching, is this slow? Is this like a bit empty? This film, but no, it actually it's just like it's quite nicely. It's just nicely paced, and it's just definitely about this one thing. Um, I, there is one question though. I mean. Because at one point he does go to like his doctor, Chris Walken's doctor in this is quite aware of this gift sort of thing that he's got. And and Chris Walken specifically asked the question about Hitler. He says, if you could go back because the doctor is like a, a Holocaust survivor. He goes, if if you could go back and kill Hitler before any of that happened, then uh, would you? And um, and you'd think that the doctor given what he knows about Chris Walken's character, might suspect that uh, Walken was planning something at that point. You know, <laughs> it's a little bit of a giveaway, the fact that he looks, looks so shifty. But yeah, um, yeah, there's some, but there's some really good actors in it. It's like, basically, it's quite like average horror movie material, but elevated by the likes of Walken and Skerritt and Martin Sheen is in it as well um, as a really sleazy politician. So it's pretty cool. So it's it's worth a watch, definitely. It's definitely upper upper average, I'd say. I will watch that because it's it's always um it's always popped up, and weirdly, I was always put off by Chris Walken's casting because 
I knew the synopsis of, of the story and I thought I've only ever seen him playing like really quirky characters and I thought no, this he's, seems uh, like, like, he's like a real everyman. So Yeah, and, and it's amazing really when you think about some of the other characters he's played and like his obviously his vocal tics and stuff. Uh but then you watch this and he's so understated in it, it's just unbelievable. It's like you're watching a different kind of actor time. I might watch this tonight. <laughs> I think you should. It's probably only about 90 minutes. It's on Prime. Boom. Done. 90 minutes. It's not three hours then. Like real yeah. film. <laughs> like the Tommyknockers. <laughs> Jimmy Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be watching that tonight. Uh, <laughs> um, cool. Okay. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's recommended. Definitely. Um, okay, that's that's good. That's good. This is good. This is the first decent film we've come across so far. <laughs> Just um, slagging off everything else. So I watched. The, I've got three left. I watched Motherless Brooklyn, um, and I I, I want to watch it because I saw a few interviews with Ed Norton about it, and he, obviously he directed it, uh, and it's based on a book, and the whole the whole thought of like a like a, a gangster with Tourette's and the whole Chinatown vibe. I, I could, I thought I can get on board with this because I mm. do, I do like Edward Norton. I find him really watchable. So um, I watched it and he, again, I really liked it. I, I, I was surprised actually after I watched it and I thought, Oh, do you know, I really, really like that. Um, and then I looked at the, um, the sort of the, the, the middling response that I got saying like, he's good, but the film isn't effectively. Um, yeah. But I don't know if it was just because I was perfectly in the mood for that. I mean, it, it is like two and a half hours long. But uh, I really liked the fact, I thought he was played the character really well. And I was kind of sucked into it. There's there's a few sequences where you can tell he's kind of making a point of showing that he's directing, if that makes sense. Like there's a scene in a jazz right. club that, that goes on for like like the length of a full jazz song like six or seven minutes and beyond because they go through another song as well and it's just it's just like soaking in the ambience of the mood and it's fine but i did think i think you're just you're a big fan of this music and you're trying to highlight it as opposed to it featuring in the film in any meaningful way it it could have been done in 30 seconds but um yeah it it, there's so many moments when it could have because of his condition this this church condition that it could have um descended into sentimentality but it doesn't and there is so, there are moments when it could have been used for like it's used for um it's used for comedic effect in a surprisingly kind of subtle way where most people are kind of on his side and that you know they can it's not like pointing and laughing at him and whenever someone usually does there are repercussions um mm-hmm. where, where they'll so it's not like pointing and laughing at the fact he's like making these strange sounds and saying these strange things and putting on voices and twitching away it, 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 you do get the impression that like it is a really tough thing to live with, and it, it's not like this gift he has that mm. you know is it can be laughed off, and I, I like that aspect of it. Um, it is quite long, and I and I really I, obviously it's not twenty years old yet, so I can't say anything about the ending. But I, I was a big fan of the ending, and it it ties in with what we were saying about the stuff like the parallax view, where um, it, it someone is just involved in something that's just too too big a scope to really. For one person right. to have any, have any impact on it, you know, and it, it, and I I like that I like the aspect of that and I like how it was dealt with. So it's not again I I don't watch many films that aren't shitty action films more than once or twice, but it, this is a film I'd watch again and it's one yeah. that I I really did like, especially considering how mishandled it could have been. Um, yes, 
with a lot of well, a lot of aspects of it. It's like a lot of the the race politics and the 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 disabilities that people have. And of course, I didn't know halfway through. Uh, boom! Up rocks Alec Baldwin and Willem Dafoe. Thank you, thank you. So I was, yeah. To me, you see, that's a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest. I'd love to, to just film. see Willem Dafoe rock up. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, yeah, I, I really like it, and I, I suggest you watch it. I mean, it's not good. It's not good. While it strives for the sort of levels of stuff like Chinatown, and it'll it will never reach them as a standalone film. It's, I really liked it. Yeah, I, I will watch that at some point. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, potential landmines when it comes to good taste and that, but it seems to negotiate them quite well. Yeah, you kind of feel for him, bless him, in that film, uh, with, with, with the sort of ticks and, and the way he is with other people. But it's it's never... I mean, if you look at the synopsis of it, it sounds like, oh my God, yeah, it could just be an awful, like, done as a comedy sort of thing, like, and <laughs> a constant running joke about him getting into trouble. Um it, it does correct. get him into trouble. Uh, it does yes. get him into trouble, but it, it's handled quite well, I thought, anyway. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'll watch that then. I'll check that out. <laughs> Tonight. Two and a half hours. Yeah. Well, I'll go tell on. you what. Shall I quickly, because obviously you've got a trilogy. So yes. if I quickly go through these next two pretty quickly, because there's one of them is not really much, because I want you to speak more about this than myself. So Lawless, okay. um, oh, I... Yeah. I, wa- I watched it and I was enjoying it, but I fell asleep. So, <laughs> and I fell asleep, but like a weird part. I, re- I, I put it on and it was like one in the morning and it's quite long. Yeah. And I was really enjoying it. And then I was like dozing and waking up when I said, right, come on, Umbrit. And then the film ended and I thought, I didn't really take the last hour of that in too deeply. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind taking the reins on this one, because I don't feel like I know enough to really get into a discussion about it or lead the discussion really, rather to be honest i can't remember that much about it i mean it's it's actually quite standard it's quite a standard kind of like uh what's it called uh prohibition era uh it's, it's like a gangster film but like a rural gangster film isn't it so they're all out in the backwards basically and i just remember it having like a really a really good script from Nick Cave and of course really good music by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis yeah, yeah and just really great performances and uh obviously Tom Hardy's really good in it and I I swear I read somewhere uh, I don't know whether it's Nick Cave himself or who it was but that basically Nick Cave wrote all these long monologues uh long poetic monologues for Tom Hardy's character but then when Tom Hardy showed up on set he just grunted <laughs> <laughs> and mumbled stuff, uh, but somehow managed to get his character across. Absolutely, yeah, because he's kind of like this. Um, yeah, he's the, the sort of the patriarchal thing over the, over the, the three yeah. brothers, played by Jason Clark, Shia LaBeouf, and himself. Um, and yeah, it, Jason Clark, uh, where he should be as a, a very good supporting role. Yeah, I, I've seen him in other things, but I don't really. I recognize his face, but I couldn't name like another film I've seen him in. So. I mean, he was in. Um, is in, he starred in the second Planet of the Apes movie, okay. uh, and he was okay. And he was in the, the Terminator. Which one was it? South, not Salvation, Genesis. Oh God! Well, the one where it was just spoiled in the trailer. Literally a spoiler in the trailer. Like <laughs> I, I could not believe what I was watching in the trailer, and I thought, well, oh, there must be something else to it. Like it must be that because I think it reveals. Yeah, because I can tell you, it's not a spoiler because it's in, literally in the trailer. So in the trailer, it shows that his character 
actually is a Terminator. And like it's it's done as a big surprise in the trailer. It's like, oh my god, everyone's so shocked. And I was thinking, well, surely that's like a massive twist. Um and then <laughs> and then I watched the movie expecting it to be like a twist on a twist. But no, that was literally it. It was just spoiled in the trailer. Did he play oh. John Connor? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's where I recognize, vaguely recognise him. In. But yeah, but with Lawless, yeah. it was um, yes. it, it was like you you are right because Tom Hardy's character is really like monosyllabic and and very, very socially awkward, but very kind of good at what he does and very defensive of his family. Um, yeah. He has a rough old time in that film. Yes, <laughs> there's there's a moment where Shia LaBeouf says, "Do you want to take a couple of hours off work?" <laughs> and he's like, nah, "I'm all right. I've only been cutting off." I've only been cut <laughs> off and fed into an alien thresher that dissolves my <laughs> molecules. I'm fine. I'll just have another sugar in my tea and get on with it. So yeah, but Lawless, I, I assume it's been long, but... I don't remember that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we won't, there's no point. I can't remember Lawless. I fell asleep. Not any fault of the film, but it seemed good from what I saw. Yes. Yeah. But what, uh, what is a sorry. good film that I stayed awake all the way through is Extraction with oh, yeah. Chris Hemsworth. Um, I had no idea what kind of film this was. And, and I, it was, I, I kind of, I'm reticent to watch films that when I, when Netflix say, oh, watch this, there's a film you might like. Oh, there's a series you might like. Brith, Brith, where are you? Um, <laughs> it gets on my nerves. So when I log in this and it like pops up, so abstraction, oh, watch this. I think, no, yeah. I, I don't. Just out of principle, I don't. Um, but I, then my friend, uh, Plowman, um, Alex Plowman sent me a message and said, have you seen Extraction? It's awesome. And he is very much like a, an action or two when it comes to like really trashy. He loves like really gritty, uh, fast paced action films. And I thought, oh, well, do you know what? I'll give it a goosey. And it was really good. It's a really good film, really good action yeah. film. A lot of like, lo- it's obviously not single shots, but like long, seemingly long takes as yes. they go, as, as they're trying to get through. Um, it's, it's like a, like a poor area of like a, like an Indian city. They're trying to uh, rescue yeah. this kid and get him out of there. And it's really good. The, the, the characters are all really tasty in it. The introductions, the, this really visceral fight scenes. And yeah. Um, so it, you're saying that some of the action scenes are kind of done in long takes. Yeah. It's like, it'll be like Chris Hems just saying, okay, we're going to go through this building. And then yeah. it'll be like a camera, like kind of waste right. that. It'll just follow him through these quite enclosed, awkward situations. Which brings us back to what we're saying about crank uh, and how it's, how much has changed since then and a lot of it is down to children of men because that was such a groundbreaking action movie in terms of its use of uh single shot action scenes with careful clever cutting sort of thing i suppose i suppose you've got more recent stuff like gravity but like it's interesting now that Whereas back then it would have been like, okay, let's let's got an action scene, we filmed it, now let's cut it up into as many pieces as possible. Whereas now a lot of filmmakers are striving towards something much more fluid, and it's it seems obviously so much more impressive when you have like a long long take action scene and everything's in the frame and you can't hide anything. And it's really well choreographed and it feels really smooth. It like comes, it's quite exactly. it's quite exhilarating. It comes down to choreography and it also draws you into it, you know, because it makes you feel much more like you're actually there sort of thing. And it just shows that it's just a better style of action filmmaking. It, um, there are some scenes in it, like some sudden things happen during fight sequences where you think, oh, um, and, and there also <laughs> it, it does that amazing thing. And I'm not, I won't say any more about it, but when it, when it cuts to the state of some of the characters, like 20 minutes in, and you know there's like an hour left and what they've got ahead of them, you think... You're gonna make this. You you have had a kick in, my boy. You have had a shoeing in a car park outside Little, 
Um, so it's yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of moments that like kind of tick my boxes a bit, and I didn't realize that I fancied Chris Hemsworth, but no, I do. It, it turns out I do. Good, because I've only <laughs> ever seen him. It turns out I've only ever seen him in like um, like the the handful of Marvel films I've, I've watched, and it's like oh god. But um, yeah, he could really carry it, and I really hope it turns into like a little yeah. franchise. Because I'd be more than happy to watch another couple of them. I think the thing with Chris Hemsworth, he's got genuine like star power as well. He's got star presence, if you if you see what I mean. Like he's, I know he's got, you got like Liam Hemsworth, who's like another kind of hunk. But you watch Liam Hemsworth, and it's like you could be anybody. You could be like whatever Clint Eastwood's son's called. You know, just like one of them. Um, just one of those forgettable faces. Scott, but Scott Eastwood? I think so, yeah. Just like, there are, you know, good-looking leading men uh, everywhere, but to, but you get some of them who have real, like, kind of star quality, um, which I know it's not... A, star-driven films aren't a big thing these days, but I don't know. I think there's a little bit... I've got a little bit of doubt about that because I think something like Extraction gets an audience because it's got someone like Chris Hemsworth in it. I don't know whether, you know, if it had someone else in it and it would have nearly the the draw and gets women to watch it. Yeah, it was funny actually because when it when it came on I said I said to Faye, who isn't an action fan, I said, I'm we're not gonna discuss this. I'm putting this film on. And I put my foot down because I really fancied it. And uh, she said, oh, fair enough. And then within minutes, it was it, she was kind of on her phone sitting next to me. She said, is that is he in Neighbours? And I said, possibly he's Australian. <laughs> I'm assuming everyone Australian's in Neighbours. Um, and then and then 10 minutes later, the phone was down and she was completely hip steep until the end. Like completely, <laughs> completely emotionally involved in the whole thing. Good. So which is a real sign of a of, of film with like a little bit more depth than just me liking action films. And because when I watch an action film, I start yeah. on a certain bar. Like, I'm willing yeah. to put up with a lot that I wouldn't with a lot of other genres. But, yeah, she was completely yes. deep. And, Same with yeah. horror. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I suppose I should, Yeah, I, I forgot that I watched The Ward with John, uh, John Carpenter's The Ward. There's a reason you watched I bet you watched it really recently and forgot about it quickly as well. Yeah, well, I didn't even write it down on my notes or anything, you know, because <laughs> it's so forgettable. Like, the only thing that tells you that that film is a John Carpenter film, well, apart from the fact that it's emblazoned all over the like advertising in that is the fact that it's like but actually watching it the fact that it's in widescreen other than that you just wouldn't know you really yeah. wouldn't know it was really because... listless i remember it being like i watched it and i i somehow i didn't pick up that it was john carpenter i don't know if i looked away from the screen when it came up or whatever but i watched mm. it and i i just turned to fair remember just saying oh that was really bad that was really boring and um <laughs> and then afterwards i found it and i thought oh the fall from grace that man has had <laughs> It just seemed like a, a bit of hack work, really. It it didn't even have, like, when it came to the horror elements, it didn't even have, uh, like, his... Uh, when I think of John Carpenter and horror, I think of tension, and I think of cool gore and makeup, and it didn't have either of those things. It just had tedious jump scares all the way yeah. through. Uh, what was it, 2010? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was, and that was his last movie. So I, I'm happy if he just... Just leave it because I don't want him to make another bad movie. Just focus either. on the music. The music is yeah. awesome. Just do that. Absolutely fine. Um, right. So finally, uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. So speaking of horror, because um, Gore Verbinski is a horror director at heart, 
and I'll come to that in a bit. He's, but got, anyway. he's got the right name for it. Okay, go on. Yes. Um, I quite like the original trilogy, um, although the, really the reason we watched it all is because uh, it was my wife's obsession when she was a teenager because she, she was just the right age when it came out, and so she was obsessed with everything to do with pirates and stuff. Um, and I, I, and I, I swear, right, at the time, I remember... Everyone's saying that the first one is the best, but I, I found the first one just a bit boring and repetitive, I've got to say. Like, it just seemed quite dull to me. Um, well, not even Mackenzie Crook could elevate it in your eyes. No, well, he's in all of them anyway. So, oh. uh, yeah, they have no problem just bringing back characters who are totally evil in previous movies and then making them. It's the Fast and Furious effect, you know? Totally evil like monsters in the last movie and then just like oh they're just part of the crew now it's fine um yes um so i i like i i i think there's a lot to like about them and it's mostly to do with the technical aspects if you like i think in terms of the plot i have no idea what is going on in any of those movies i cannot follow the plot in those films it's probably bad storytelling or just really overcomplicated script i'm not sure um, but, but I just, I, I just put it down to, I accepted after a while that I don't need to follow the plot because really it's just each bit of plotting is just an excuse for the next set piece or whatever. And okay. the next cool set or whatever. Um, I, I like the fact that there are clearly references to secret of monkey Island. Not least oh, really? the concept, yeah. Not least in the concept of the undead pirate crew, but you also get pirates and pretty dresses. You get like a voodoo lady in the swamp. I, I know there are kind of tropes, but it felt like there were a lot of like direct references to Monkey Island. Good. I, yeah, so that was cool. Um, but yeah, the the horror part of it, I think that's why it works so well, and that's why specifically the sequels, the two sequels, work so well because Gore Verbinski obviously did. Um, the the ring remake and he did a cure for wellness um and famously he wanted to do a bioshock film as well uh, which is what cure for wellness ended up being which means that when you watch cure for wellness you're thinking well it's not a very good film but that would look cool in a bioshock movie so yeah so but you can see it everywhere in all of his like weird monster designs uh and like really harsh things have like like this cat island of cannibals you got like ravens pecking the eyes out of bodies and stuff it's really gross and brilliant and i love the kind of ott production design and the grotesque monster designs and that's why i like the sequels more is because they're less about tedious plotting and much more about the fantastical side of it and the kind of yeah it's it's weird it's almost so, sometimes it almost becomes surreal in a kind of like so that kid. sentence you just said very much reminds me of um, Hellboy to the Golden Army. Yeah, well, I mean, no, that was going to be the other thing I was going to mention, actually, because you've got these, it's it's not just Gore Verbinski. You look at other filmmakers who started out in horror, and yes, Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. starts out in horror, makes something like Hellboy, where he it really lets his like over-the-top horror impulses take over. And then you've got uh, Peter Jackson as well. Obviously, started out with real splatter horror, and yeah. and then you and then you watch the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, and you can see all that stuff in his monster designs and in the just in the in the way that it's uh, in the way that it's shot. The sh- certain sequences are shot like horror movies. 
usually the best bits. So, um, and also, like, I haven't mentioned Johnny Depp yet, but it, it seems like after the first film, like, he's really settled into the role as Jack Sparrow, and his comic timing is, seems much better in the second one. Uh, I just love his kind of... <laughs> I love his startled reaction every time anyone starts talking. It's almost like he's terrified as to what's going to happen next. It's just really funny. All the time. Um, what else is there? I, I I made a note when I was watching these movies. Is that in the second and third movies, the sound mixing is terrible. It's weird that I should mention that because I don't normally notice that stuff. But I'm not joking. Like The score and the atmospheric sound is so overbearing that you can barely hear the dialogue. Maybe I'm just getting old or something, but seriously, it's like really weirdly noticeable. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was, it seems to only affect the second two. It might be because it's Hans Zimmer doing the music, which means everything's really overbearing anyway. But um, yeah, I, but they're good and they get, I, I think that the sequels are better. I like, there's a really, really genuinely surreal uh, limbo sequence in the third movie where it's just 10 minutes of Johnny Depp having weird conversations with clones of himself and then um, like playing with a, a crab, which then a big horde of crabs picks up his ship and sails him through the desert. It's bizarre. It's like something out of fear and loathing. I, um, I will. The third one I, yeah. I might watch because I've got a feeling to watch the first one and then the second one, but out of in situations where I was just probably just over some house and it was on or, you know, I, or like I walked in and it was like halfway through, but, um, it, it does it is it one of those things as well where the trilogy wraps itself up because like you said they've made five now did you feel a burning desire to watch the oh, yeah, it, it completely it completely wraps itself up after the set after the third one yeah totally i like there's uh like whole it's not 20 years old yet so i can't really say too much but like whole character main characters kind of their stories come to an end and then they don't come back in the later ones so I mean, it basically, they just thought, right, well, let's just capitalise on Johnny Depp's popularity as it was then. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I think it's worth, definitely worth watching the third one because it's, you know, it's just got this, it's got crazy casting in it. I mean, Chow Yun-Fat rocks up at the start, of course. Of course he does. Keith Richards rocks up as well. Good. And... Um, <laughs> It just seems like it's the sign of a filmmaker with an infinite budget and no real restraints, even on their kind of imagination, which is good. And it was it's like um, Hellboy in that respect, because Hellboy 2 is better than the first one because it's just so much more out there and like so much more crazy ideas being thrown at the screen. Yeah. Almost like they've OK, you've proven yourself with the kind of quite sensible relatively sensible first one now here's even more money and you can do what you want yeah. no i'm with you on that so I, I might actually watch the third one is it on prime or did you do you own it i'm assuming that uh, uh, yeah. I, I just watched it on disney plus so oh uh, of course yeah right okay naturally it's two hours and 50 minutes long why wouldn't it be three hours yeah <laughs> three hours of total nonsense is brilliant i could watch half of satan tango in that time <laughs> Uh, yeah. I don't think I don't think Satan Tango has a scene where in order to get to where they want to go they have to the crew has to run from one side of the boat to the other capsize it so that 
they actually go underwater and then enter a completely different world. It's, a, it's just astonishing. Like how they come up with this, I don't know. <laughs> so, it's like it's like a Terry Gilliam film. It's like Baron Munchausen or something. <laughs> so, so to sort of wrap up this uh, this episode, yes. then, uh, what would you say was as your film of the week? Well, I think it's not Crank because that's just not very good, and I think Pirates of the Caribbean is pretty well trodden. And uh, but I, I would say, I would say, you know, watch the sequels if you haven't seen them. Um, but stop at three. Um, but I'd say probably the film of the week would be The Dead Zone because that's probably slipping from memory now for a lot of people, and it's a pretty solid Stephen King adaptation. What was it? What like eighty seven or something like that? I think it's early in that. It's about 83, 84, maybe. Oh, Christ. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I will watch that. That is my one takeaway from this. Not my one takeaway, but the main one. Um, mm. I, I think for me, I, as much as I enjoyed Motherless Brooklyn, I, I think that you know that I'm not a fan of gangster films. So I'm, I probably didn't take as much from it or find as many problems with it as someone who has got much more affinity with that genre would see. But... Right. For me, it was extraction because it was it was that glorious mix of like me not really knowing anything about Chris Hemsworth. I still don't really know who the director is, and I just chucked it on, and I was just enthralled, and I thought that was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, it's extraction, which I heartily recommend to any action fans out there who like like a fast paced. Right, this is what we're doing, and this is us doing it, kind of thing. Um, I suppose if you if you liked extraction, I mean, Chris Hemsworth was in Black Hat as well. Michael Mann's last good movie. I think I watched that and I can't remember it for some reason. <laughs> it's fairly forgettable, but it's pretty good. And it's got some good action scenes in it. Nice, clear action scenes where you can see what's going on. And yeah, and that's where I could see that Chris Hemsworth could carry a film without needing to have, you know, an ensemble cast or anything than that. Yeah, pretty tasty. Well, yeah, that's yep. still be on it. So, Dead Zone and Blackout for me for this week, and Extraction for you. Yes. <laughs> cool. Good. Right then, so uh, that was a nice, tasty, uh, and we've done this in an hour and 18 minutes as well, so it's, you know, it's, these podcasts are effectively the, almost the length of Commando, not the director's cut, that's an extra three minutes, so we might have <laughs> tied it up quite nicely. Beautiful. Have yeah, you got, have you got anything on, that you, you know you're going to watch in the next couple of weeks? Uh, I, yeah, I've got a couple more of the lesser John Carpenters to watch. Uh, I, I've got vampires because I've got a vampires and Ghosts of Mars double bill. Like I've seen vampires before, and I, I remember thinking it it was weird in terms of the, its storytelling and its narrative structure. And uh, why is Daniel Baldwin in it? Why is he miscast? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, the, th- the problem but, with that as well is that's the one with James Woods, isn't it? Yes, yes. And James Woods is the such problem a with foul that is James man. Woods, he's <laughs> yeah, he's such a foul man. You just think, oh god. I know, but then you've got he's in stuff like Videodrome, which is incredible. So I can't yeah. really. But maybe he was a nice man back then. That's what I like to think. Yeah, I watched Vampires a few times over the years. Um, and I, I think it's, it was a film I remember thinking, I really like that. And then I watched it recently-ish. And, mm. and I would still watch it again now, but I, I, I can't, I'm completely on the fence about it. I might have to watch it again. Yeah, I'm going to have to. It's, I just remember being really odd, like really strange. Like it just, it, it felt like one of the movies where the script was being made, made up as it went along, which mm. can be a blessing or a curse. So yeah, and I've never seen Ghosts of Mars. 
all the way through. And I know it's bad, but I'm keen to finish off John Carpenter's canon. Um, I think I've got another one coming from Arrow Video at some point soon, some 70s horror. So I'll check that out. Uh, I can't even remember what it is, to be honest, but then I'll fill you in next time. Saucy. Well, I'll speak to you next time then. And uh, enjoy whatever you watch. Cheers, love. Bye-bye. Have you. Bye.